welcome to Mouse Planet Watch for March 29th, 2007. And now, the news. We start off Mouse Planet Watch with the Walt Disney World update, brought to you by Small World Vacations, Mouse Planet's preferred Disney travel provider. First up, we will give you a reminder that time is running out on your ability to vote for the Disney Dream Jobs competition. In fact, since this podcast is going up on Thursday, you've got today and tomorrow, and then that's it. As the voting closes just before midnight, the night of March 30th. Uh, So far, there have been over a million page views and over half a million votes cast since voting opened on March 6th. If you want to view the candidates and make your suggestion, hurry up and go over to the contest website, which is careerbuilder.com slash Disney Dream Jobs. We'll put a link in the show notes just in case you need it. And, of course, we'll also put a link to the thread on the Mousepad discussion forums, which lists those Mouse Planet readers that are finalists in the Dream Jobs competition. Next up we have uh, a rather unfortunate renaming. Um, The Laugh Floor Comedy Club, the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor Comedy Club, has apparently too much of a mouthful since they've dropped the words Comedy Club from the end of the name. Uh, Of course, that means that the attraction is now known as the Monsters, Inc. Laugh Floor. Now, several people have pointed out that that now has an acronym that is uh, shared by a sexually oriented phrase that was originally popularized in the movie American Pie. Uh, We're not going to say it here. Uh, We're wondering whether Disney, once they are aware of that, will change the name of the attraction again, or if they're going to let people searching for that abbreviation on the internet come up with interesting alternate links. Yeah, obviously not what you want. Um, I'm not even going to say the acronym name without even going into more detail. But, But, you know, I bet you anything, Mark, that, you know, I don't know if it will be changed, but if it does get changed, I bet you it will be changed to MICC or Monsters, Inc. Comedy Club. Well, we'll see. MICC. It could be a good joke in the show. Um... Anyway, um, they're going to be doing the pass holder previews for the Laugh Floor this weekend, uh, starting Friday, March 30th, and running through Sunday, April 1st. The blockout has been lifted for seasonal pass holders so that they can go as well. So if you're going to be down there, enjoy that. Um, The official grand opening is going to be on Monday, April 2nd, which is the same day that the Gran Fiesta Tour starring Three Caballeros opens in the former El Rio del Tiempo location. But they won't be doing any fanfare for that, will they? Not that I've heard yet. Um, I'm going to see if they're doing anything, and if so, I'll see if I can get somebody to cover that for us. Um, Also, going on this week, Um, Negotiations on a new union contract continue between Disney and the Service Trades Council Union, which is actually a coalition of six unions that represents 29,000 of the 57,000 workers at 
Walt Disney World. Uh, the contract that's under negotiation right now is for the 21,000 full-time workers, which expires at the end of the day of April 28th. The part-timers, the 8,000 part-timers, are covered under a contract that expires in September. The unions have launched an attack on the two-tiered wage schedule right now that was instituted in 1998. They have a report written by three college professors that uh, highlights the cost to the local area that was caused by the two-tiered salary system by which those employees or cast members who were hired on or before December 12, 1998 had a stable schedule of wage increases where those who were hired December 13, 1998 or later had a lower schedule of wage increases. Now, my take on this is that Disney had a certain target amount of compensation and that the union could very well have said, we are going to let everybody share the pain and we are going to continue with a single tier, but we are going to, it, you know, it will have to be lower than the long timers were expecting and higher than the new folks would be getting if we were doing a two-tiered effect. Uh, but in effect, what they wanted to do was they wanted to play to their existing workers and tell them that they weren't going to be losing anything and it was just going to be on the backs of the new people. And as the turnover rate has continued, um, the long-timers are now being outnumbered by the newcomers, and so now it's a majority that have the lower wages. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, they will most likely end up saying, okay, put everybody back on the same schedule, and those who were at the higher schedule will take a little bit of a hit, and those at the lower schedule will get a little benefit. But again, probably Disney has a set dollar figure in mind, and that is what they're going to give regardless. And we'll have to wait and see how that actually goes. Um, what I don't understand about this is, you know, at times when I was a cast member, I felt the union didn't care about my interests. But I don't even know why we got to argue with this at all. Like, Disney, Disney laying it cast members get paid more even compared to the cost of living over in California, then what a Florida cast member will get paid at Disney World compared to that cost of living um, and average salary. It is, you know, Central Florida, all the amusement parks do get paid around the same. Disney is competitive, but I just, you know, kind of think some of these arguments are kind of crazy. Disney can afford to take a little bit more and take care of their cast members, which after all, without them there wouldn't be um, any parks. But on the other side, I am a shareholder and I can understand why we want it, why they want to save money, but... Well, especially, you know, in the eyes of the institutional shareholders, the ones that are holding tens of millions of shares of Disney, they want to see 
all sorts of measures to maximize income and decrease costs. So they're expecting Disney to take as hard a line as possible on salaries. Now, another reason why they can afford to keep the wages low in Florida is that Florida is a right-to-work state. So people don't have to join a union in order to work, and the unions know that so that Disney can kind of say, well, look, you know, if you're not going to agree to a good contract, we don't care. Anybody who wants to work here will work here without being a member of your union, and you're going to lose your union. So we're going to have to uh, wait and see how that goes. We are going to uh, keep an eye on this and see how it works out. Now, the uh, last bit of news from the Walt Disney World update, since we're trying to keep this short, is we're going to uh, just make a quick mention of the fact that if you're using the Disney Link widget, which we had recommended in an earlier tip of the week on Mouse Station, uh, the, the widget is telling you that you can make reservations now for the Epcot International Food and Wine Festival specialty events. I'm looking at it right now, and it's saying that as we record. However, according to the folks at Disney Reservations, they're not going to be taking reservations for that until the summer. So if you see that pop up, don't go jumping on it and be worried that you're not going to get your reservations because reservations really aren't open. So we're going to say that that is going to be it for this week for the Walt Disney World update. All that information and more, there are more stories this week. They're available online in the Walt Disney World Park update, which comes to you each week at mouseplanet.com. For more Walt Disney World news and information, check mouseplanet.com slash Walt Disney World. Back to you, Mike. And now let's see what's happening on the other coast with Andrew Rich down at Mouse Planet Global Headquarters. Thanks, guys, and hey, howdy, hey, everyone. Andrew Rich here with your Mouse Planet Disneyland Resort update for the week of March 26th through April 1st. We begin with a reminder that the Spring 2007 Mouse Adventure, scheduled for April 29th at the Disneyland Resort, is completely sold out. If you didn't make it this time, we hope you can join us for our Fall 2007 event, and we'll have more information on that later in the year. Meanwhile, preparations are underway for the spring event, and in our Mouse Station feature podcast, we're running the Mouse Adventure Tip of the Week. If you haven't already downloaded the feature podcast, you can get it at mouseplanet.com slash podcast. If you don't follow the intricacies of Anaheim politics, you might have missed the storm slowly brewing among Disney, the city of Anaheim, and a handful of developers. The battleground is the Anaheim Resort District, the roughly two-square-mile area that is home to Disneyland and Disney's California Adventure, as well as a tantalizing amount of undeveloped and underdeveloped property. The battle is for the right to shape the future development in and around the resort area. The current skirmish centers on a proposed 1,500-unit residential development to be built along the borders of a Disney-owned parcel of land on the southeast corner of Harbor and Catella, the presumed site of Disney's third Anaheim theme park. Disney opposes the project and has sued the city of Anaheim to block the development. In an effort to place more permanent restrictions on such development, Disney is now backing a ballot initiative that would require voter approval for any land-use changes within the resort district. 
In response, both the developer of the residential project and an Anaheim City Council member are considering their own ballot initiatives to counter the Disney-sponsored measure. City Councilwoman Lori Galloway has urged the Anaheim City Council to consider a measure that would require Disney, among other resort employers, to provide low-cost housing to their workers. The competing measures could appear on the February 2008 primary ballot. Galloway needs the support of just two other members of the council and is likely to get it. She and Councilman Bob Hernandez both voted in favor of the project in February and were opposed by Anaheim Mayor Kurt Pringle and Councilman Harry Sidhu. That vote resulted in a tie when Councilwoman Lucille Kring, at the suggestion of Disney's attorneys, abstained from the vote due to a possible conflict of interest. Crane plans to open a business in the nearby Garden Walk development, but has not yet signed a commercial lease. The State Fair Political Practices Commission has since ruled that Crane may vote on the issue, and she told the Los Angeles Times that she is very frustrated by what Disney has put her, her husband, and the city through, and has indicated that she would vote to rehear the project. In the interim, Disney is trying to persuade the city that the company's future plans for the area justify a continued ban on low-cost residential development. The LA Times reported that Disney has held meetings with city officials to discuss the still-secret development plans, which will likely include a third theme park, additional hotels, and Disney Vacation Club properties. In keeping with the company's planned expansion in the area, Disney would prefer that the parcel in question be developed as a hotel or timeshare, or even an upscale residential development like those being constructed in the city's Platinum Triangle District. The Disneyland Resort of the future may just be a dazzling landscape of new attractions, surrounded by DVC properties and tied to a Disney Cruise Line terminal at the Port of L.A., but that future is likely a decade or more away. While such long-term planning has worked well for the company in Florida, the local landscape is much different. Disney is essentially asking the city of Anaheim to ensure that neighboring landowners develop their properties in keeping with Disney's wishes in support of Disney's future expansion plans. Disney was unsuccessful in their effort to block the Garden Walk project, and it remains to be seen if the city council and residents will support their latest effort to shape the political and physical landscape of Anaheim. And in other news, a frequent question on our mousepad discussion boards concerns the upcoming Finding Nemo submarine voyage attraction. When will it open? Will there be previews? Disney continues to offer June 11th as the opening date for the attraction, and there has been no official word about previews. The three Patina Group restaurants in downtown Disney will each offer a special menu for Easter Sunday, April 8th. Make reservations directly with each restaurant. The downtown Disney parking lot offers three hours of free parking, and you can park for up to five hours for free with validation from one of the table-serviced restaurants. We have the special Easter menus and prices for Naples, Tortilla Joe's, and Catal at mouseplanet.com slash Disneyland. Here are the current refurbishments and attraction closers for this week. Splash Mountain, along with Professor Barnaby's Photography Studio, are closed through May 18th. The Mark Twain Riverboat is closed through May 22nd. The Disneyland Railroad is closed through March 29th and closes again from May 7th through June 8th. Tom Sawyer's Island is closed through May 24th, and Fantasmic is dark through June 14th. Aladdin's Oasis, which features Aladdin and Jasmine's Storytale Adventure, is closed through May 4th. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride is closed through June 1st. And Tarzan's Treehouse is closed for an unknown duration, but possibly until next year. More on that in a moment. Of course, all these dates are subject to change without notice. 
and a few quick items for you to round out the update. A new vending location has opened in Tomorrowland across from the Star Trader, offering fresh fruit, bottled drinks, and snacks. The Disney Vault 28 store in downtown Disney is currently offering 50% off a selection of apparel and accessories. You'll find the clearance merchandise tucked into one of the two dressing rooms at the back of the store. Bob Olszewski will introduce the Plaza Inn and King Triton's Garden Snow White Grotto sculptures from his Disneyland in Miniature collection this Saturday, March 31st at Disneyland. The pieces will be available for purchase at the Disney Anna Shop on Main Street, USA. The artist will be available to sign purchases from 9 a.m. to noon. Olszewski frequently brings samples of future sculptures to product releases, so collectors are certain to get a sneak peek of coming releases. As I mentioned earlier in the list of attraction closures, Tarzan's Treehouse unexpectedly closed last week, and cast members are uncertain when the walkthrough attraction will reopen. It has been rumored that the attraction was closed for safety concerns, and cast member reference materials currently say it will be closed until 2008. Meet the Robinsons opens this week, and Disney Visa Rewards card members can receive a free copy of the film's soundtrack when they see the film on opening weekend. Cardholders who visit DisneyRewards.com MTR after they see the film and by April 3rd will be asked a few questions about the movie and will then receive a copy of the soundtrack by mail in about three to five weeks. If you miss that URL, go to MousePlanet.com Disneyland. That's all for this week. For the latest Disneyland Resort news and information, check mouseplanet.com slash Disneyland. For the mouseplanet.com podcast, this is Andrew Rich at Mouseplanet Global HQ. Mark and Mike, back to you. Thanks, Andrew. Mark, what's going on with the rest of the Walt Disney Company? Well, we got a whole boatload of stuff this week, so we're going to start it off. Last week, we told you about the High School Musical Ice Tour being added to the lineup of derivative products from the hit TV movie. Well, now, get ready for High School Musical, the touring stage show. Yes, they've taken the script that they wrote for rental, added two new songs, and scheduled a tour starting in Detroit on June 26th. The tour, which will hit over 60 cities in the U.S. and Canada, is the same show that was presented earlier this year at the Theater of the Stars in Atlanta. It'll run at the Fisher Theater in Detroit from June 26th through July 8th, move to the Academy of Music at the Kimmel Center for the Performing Arts in Philadelphia from July 11th through 22nd, then head to the LaSalle Bank Theater in Chicago from July 25th through September 2nd. The official opening date will be Wednesday, August 1st in Chicago. The touring company will include a live orchestra and 35 actors, Directed by Jeff Calhoun, with choreography by Lisa Stevens, the production team also includes scenic designer Kenneth Foy, costume designer Wade Laboissonnier, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, lighting designer Kenneth Billington, sound designer Duncan Robert Edwards, and music supervisor Brian Loisel. Are you High School Musicaled out yet? I hope not, because a TV special version of High School Musical The Concert will be debuting on the Disney Channel on May 5th at 9 p.m., just in time to keep the fever boiling until High School Musical 2 hits the screen in August. Yay. Yay. This one probably could have just as well gone into the Walt Disney World update, but I just stumbled upon it before uh, the show um, in the news this morning, and so I will... uh, I stuck it in with the news. When you play the various arcade games in Spaceship Earth's post-show area later this year, you'll have the folks at Carnegie Mellon University's Entertainment Technology Center to thank for it. 
The ETC has been collaborating with Siemens and Walt Disney Imagineering to create to create a collection of arcade games called Project Spaceship Earth for the Epcot location. The 9,000-square-foot post-show exhibits will relate to healthcare, transportation, and energy. The games, aimed at kids between the ages of 10 and 14, are being designed to teach gamers about Siemens. Woohoo! More games. Games are good. It looks like Roy Disney is a 3D booster. Shamrock Holdings, the company formed to manage his investments, is investing $50 million in Real D, the company that's installing 3D projectors and screens into theaters around the world. The company has already installed over 700 screens in 14 countries and expects to hit the 1,000 screen mark later this year. Fitch Ratings has upgraded its ratings on the Walt Disney Company's debt from BBB Plus to A-, citing the strength of Disney's theme park business and ABC Broadcasting Unit, Disney's success in leveraging its content across multiple distribution platforms, and management's focus on strengthening the company's credit profile over the past several years. Fitch also noted that it has more confidence in Disney's leadership. They also noted that the ratings outlook is stable, meaning that they don't expect to change the rating for another year or two. In movie news this week, with the debut of six new movies this week, Wild Hogs dropped from number two to number four on the box office list, with The Bridge to Terabithia dropping from six to twelve. Wild Hogs took in almost $14 million dollars and now totals $123.3 million, while Terabithia registered just over $2.3 million to edge up to nearly $78.9 million. But help is on the way this weekend as Meet the Robinsons opens on Friday, as well as The Lookout from Miramax. In the small screen news, an AP Wire story is now appearing in many papers across the country, finally picking up on the fact that Disney CEO Bob Iger stated that the company is revisiting the issue of re-releasing Song of the South on video. While this is old news to Mouse Planet readers and listeners to this podcast, it is interesting that the AP story is coming out now. I'm not certain whether the AP reporter was just picking up on the spread of the story across Disney fan sites around the internet, or if this might be a careful leak by Disney to gauge the reaction of the general public to the thought that the movie may be released on video. We'll have to wait and see. Also on the small screen, thanks to Kirby Bartlett Sloan and his uh, TV Kirby mailing list, we have news that the Travel Channel is going to have a marathon of Disney shows this uh, Sunday, April 1st. The shows are going to start at 2 in the afternoon and go straight through until 3 in the morning. Uh, these times are all Eastern time, so you can adjust as necessary. From 2 to 3 p.m. is Ultimate Walt Disney World. 3 to 4 is Disney's Imagineers. 4 to 5 is Disneyland Resort Behind the Scenes. 5 to 5.30 is Great Hotels Grand Californian. 5.30 to 6 is Great Hotels Animal Kingdom Lodge. 6 to 6.30 is Great Hotels Yacht and Beach Club. And 6.30 to 7 is Great Hotels Wilderness Lodge. Then from 7 to 8, you've got Undiscovered Walt Disney World. 8 to 9 is Disney Cruise Line. 9 to 10 is Walt Disney World Resort Behind the Scenes. And 10 to 11 is Disney's Animal Kingdom. 
Then we get into the set of reruns where 11 to 12 is Disney Cruise Line, 12 to 1 is Walt Disney World Resort Behind the Scenes, 1 to 2 is Disney's Animal Kingdom, and 2 to 3 is Undiscovered Walt Disney World. So if you want to set your VCR or TiVo or whatever else to pick up all of those Disney shows, you can get them all in one fell swoop, or one swell foop as the case may be. Stars Entertainment, which operates the Stars Cable Network for Liberty Media, is suing Disney subsidiary Buena Vista Television for copyright infringement and breach of contract for selling movies produced by Disney over the internet. Stars contends that Disney is restricted from doing so for the first 28 months after each film is released. Stars says that for the 10 month period where nobody is allowed to show the movie, and then an 18 month period of exclusivity for Stars, Disney is prohibited from selling its films to other television networks or across the internet. Stars sell movies via its Vongo service. Buena Vista Television signed contracts with Stars in 1993 and 1999 and extended the agreements in 2005 to allow Stars to have the exclusive right to show their films on cable. Since 1993, Stars has paid Disney over $1 billion, according to the company. They contend that Disney's agreements to sell films online through iTunes and Walmart.com violate the terms of those agreements, and that Vongo should have the exclusive online sales rights during their window of exclusivity. Stars spent millions of dollars to develop, launch, and market Vongo, which they say delivers more than 1,000 movies per month, including the Disney films. films yeah, are, by films. the way... um. Mark, have you ever played around with Vongo? No. Yeah, I used to be a Vongo member. It's buggy. It's annoying. Not much selection. I am not a fan of Vongo. And and films are downloaded and licensed for the period in which Vongo holds the rights, so it's not a permanent sale. Yeah. And Vongo, I, I don't like it. I like to be able to have other options to buy my media and actually keep my media not just for 24 hours and then not have it work. Right, so. though the question is, you know, what did the agreement say? Uh, Stars, yeah. Chief, Stars Entertainment Chief Executive Officer and Chairman Robert B. Clayson says, we want to encourage customers to have every opportunity to access a wide array of films over the Internet, but we cannot allow Disney to sell those rights to us on an exclusive basis and then sell the same rights to other parties. The suit notes that the agreements do allow Disney to distribute its films on a pay-per-view or on-demand basis, defining them as the viewing of a motion picture by a consumer who is charged a fee to view the film over a limited period of time, as well as permitting home video distribution where physical media is involved, such as video cassette, laser video, disc, and DVD. However, the suit claims that, other than those particular exceptions, the agreements prohibit Buena Vista Television from licensing its films for exhibition in any form of television or electronic delivery. In a statement, though, Buena Vista Television said, Stars misreads its agreement, and that Buena Vista Television retained and has the right to sell its motion pictures in a wide range of mediums. This suit may take a while to play out, so we'll have to see what develops. ABC announced last week that 14 programs would be returning to its lineup this fall. The shows include three newcomers from this season, Ugly Betty, Brothers and Sisters, and Men in Trees. Of course, the big hits like Grey's Anatomy, Lost, Boston Legal, and Desperate Housewives will be back as well. Inexpensive to produce reality shows will, of course, play a role next year, with Extreme Makeover Home Edition, Dancing with the Stars, The Bachelor, Wife Swap, Super Nanny, and America's Funniest Home Videos all returning. Jimmy Kimmel Live will also return to Late Nights. 
noticeably missing from the list were every comedy in the lineup. It looks like they may have to wait until the fall schedule is announced in May to learn their fate. And on a side note, Extreme Makeover Home Edition is actually in my area as we speak. Ty Pennington is in town. Uh, They are working on a house in Colony, New York, that uh, is going to be in the season finale, which I believe airs on May 20th, if I'm not mistaken. They are building a new house for a woman who has one son plus three adopted sons. The adopted sons all have some sorts of disability. Two of them are HIV positive. And uh, they are building the new house as we speak around the clock. They are uh, shuttling people in, volunteering on it. They're shuttling the crowds who want to uh, be spectators in and out of the bleachers they have set up, I believe. Um, I think they have bleachers set up. I didn't get a good look. Uh, But so when you see the uh, reveal or when you see the whole show on May 20th, they uh they're in my area and uh they're getting a lot of good press in the local newspapers for it last week the fcc approved the 2.7 billion dollar sale of the 24 stations of the abc radio network by disney to citadel broadcasting corporation however the approval was conditional on citadel selling 11 stations in seven markets so that it wouldn't exceed the maximum ownership limits in any given market Citadel will place the stations in cities such as Oklahoma City and Albuquerque, New Mexico, into a trust until they're sold. If there's no sale within six months, the FCC may take further action on the matter. The approval came after almost a year of inaction on the deal. The closing of the deal will give Citadel access to stations in New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, and San Francisco, among others. ESPN Radio and Radio Disney were not part of the deal, as Disney wants to hold on to those networks. What, Disney wants to retain Radio Disney? I'm shocked. You wouldn't believe it, huh? Well, you know, they didn't hold on to the Disney stores, so anything's possible. Well, yeah, who needs the Disney stores when we're going to get DVC preview centers all over the country? Well, not all over the country. Uh, After Chicago is up and running, word is it's Boston and then Philadelphia. I'm not sure if there's going to be much after that, but we'll see. Well, I'm pretty certain if they're, if they're successful, Mall of America will see a store eventually. It depends on what kind of DVC um, sales they've got to people in the Minnesota area. Well, not just the Minnesota area. It's the second largest tourist attraction in the country. So yeah, that's, we'll, what, that, that was my, that's my take on well, it. Well, we'll see. Anyway. We'll see. Anyway. Moving on to stage, the rest of the cast for Disney's stage version of The Little Mermaid has been announced. And I am not Ariel. Sorry to disappoint. Yeah, well, you know, you need to grow some fins. Besides the already (laughs) announced Sierra Bogus, who's slated to play Ariel, not Mike, nine other roles have been cast. Sherry Renee Scott, who has appeared in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels and Aida, will play Ursula, while Norm Lewis, currently in the revival of Les Mis, will play King Triton. Prince Eric will be played by Sean Palmer. Sebastian will be played by Titus Burgess, Scuttle by Eddie Corbich, and Flounder by Cody Hanford and J.J. Singleton, who will alternate in the role. I guess this means that Flounder will be a child. Jonathan Freeman will be Grimsby, and Flotsam and Jetsam will be played by Tyler Maynard and Derek Baskin, respectively. 
The show will be getting underway at Denver's Ellie Calkins Opera House starting on July 26th, with an official opening on August 23rd. It'll close up shop in Denver following its September 9th performance and move everything to New York City, where previews begin at the Lundfontein Theater on November 3rd. The show officially opens on Broadway on December 6th. So June 26th is the start of the High School Musical on tour, and then July 26th is the start of Little Mermaid. Disney Channel star Raven Simone was the recipient of this year's North Star Award from the National Association for Multiethnicity and Communications, or NAMIC. The North Star Award is presented annually to an individual or organization that has demonstrated a long-standing commitment to promoting ethnic and cultural diversity. While Raven's just 22 years old, NAMIC cites her work going back to her appearances at age three on The Cosby Show, up through her roles on her roles in That's So Raven and the Cheetah Girls TV movies. Wow, she's really that old? She's 22. I remember watching her at age three on Cosby. I guess that makes sense because I knew she was on the Cosby show, but I thought she was still in her teens. Oh, well. Yeah. But the NAMIC Awards, created to recognize achievements in multi-ethnic original cable programming, also include the Legacy Award, which honors a trailblazing individual or body of work that's made an indelible impact on the diversity landscape. That went to veteran casting director Robbie, uh, Robbie Reed. The two awards were presented at the 13th Annual NAMIC Awards Ceremony on Tuesday at the Beverly Wilshire in Beverly Hills, California. Good for her. Hey, Mike, have you heard about Disney Party Fizz? Hey, Mark, I have not heard about Disney Party Fizz. What is it and where can I get some if it's a thing? Well, apparently, Disney Party Fizz is a fizzy apple drink sold in bottles that look like champagne bottles right down to the foil wrapping wire tie and the cork. Aimed at at the children's parties gone overboard market. The drink (laughs) Which you know a lot about up in New York, right? uh, The drink is sold overseas by Disney. However, several people and organizations have raised a red flag as potentially serving as a gateway to alcoholism, much as the concern was a couple of decades ago or so about candy cigarettes leading to smoking addictions. Oh, come on. There have been growing concerns about underage drinking in Scotland. The Scotsman, a Scottish newspaper, has reported that over 40% of 15-year-olds in the country regularly drink alcohol, with more girls drinking than boys. Jack Law, chief executive of Alcohol Focus Scotland, warned it could lead to potentially dangerous situations. A child could reach for a bottle of real champagne at a family party thinking it's fizzy juice and pour himself or herself a glass. Parents should consider the connotations before buying this product. Dr. Bruce Ritson, chairman of lobby group Scottish Health Action on Alcohol Problems, noted, I have concerns about this looking like alcohol or real champagne. It fosters the ambition of celebrating occasions with alcohol. It could introduce young children to a model of drinking alcohol. Parents should be encouraged to think seriously about this product's connotations before buying it for their children. In defending the product, uh, UK supermarket giant Tesco stated, You can buy many other products in champagne shapes. One common example is chocolates. This is because the shape of a champagne bottle is associated with family celebration. But that kind of helps the other side, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. But, well, first of all, I want Disney Party Fizz. 
because I'm not much of a drinker, with the exception of a, a blue teeny every once in a while. Um, and I like um, sparkling juices. But where are the people up in arms about the um, Welch's sparkling grape juice that they've had for years? Well, I've that's, heard, not, that's not advertised with Disney princesses, I guess. Well, um, maybe it's not, not designed to look like actual champagne bottles. But uh, the Scotsman also quotes a couple of seven-year-olds. Um, seven-year-old Monica Perry, tasting it at a party, said, I want a bottle for my birthday next month to share with my cousins. It tasted like fizzy apple juice. I really liked it. It reminds me of champagne. The bottle shape and the color of the juice are the same. I've seen Mummy and Daddy drink champagne at parties. And her friend Mary Keegan, also seven, agreed, saying, It tasted a bit funny because I've never had apple juice before. I thought it was champagne when I first <laughs> saw it. The bottle looks just like it. It was good fun. It made me feel a bit grown up. Did she say she never had apple juice before? Yeah. <laughs> um, but so, you know, it's now got them feeling grown up because they're drinking something that looks like champagne. So I don't think it's that harmful. It's up to... Pe- it's up to parents to be responsible to be responsible. And yeah, I can maybe see the other side, but come on, you know. It's something that probably doesn't get used very often except for celebration and you know, there are a lot of other families who let their kids drink a little bit of actual um champagne and wine. At least these parents aren't doing that because I know a lot of parents who give their children champagne or wine on special occasions and they don't think it's a big deal. So it's better than that, and also come on, it just goes back to the video. This is no different than the video game thing, saying that guns don't kill people, kids who play video games kill people. Just because you have a product that is like something doesn't mean it causes something else. Well, that's my opinion. Well, um, now that our but I'm not a parent, so now, now that our email <laughs> form is again working on the website. By the way. Um, the, we did have problems with the email form in case you are, did not listen to the Mouse Station podcast where we mentioned it. Um, the email form was apparently not sending through any mail from March uh, 5th through 26th. So if you sent us anything with the mail form, try it again. Sit and we'll get it this time. But let's throw it open to you. There's, no, there's nothing illegal about selling sparkling apple juice and but the fact that it's not only targeted kids using Disney characters promote it, to promote it, but that it's packaged and labeled like an actual champagne bottle, is that a problem? Uh, especially in locations where there's already a problem with underage alcoholism. Is it irresponsible for Disney to be selling the product? Why don't you send us an email at podcast at mouseplanet.com or leave us a voicemail at one eight six six nine three nine two two seven eight. Or use the email form on the website and let us know what you think um, about this uh, product. Is this something that Disney should be involved in, or um, is this a problem? Is there is there anything wrong with it? Let us know what you think. Uh, on a sidetrack, Mark, where can I see a picture of this? I have not been able to find a, a picture of it yet. I. Um, I, I, <laughs> I saw a couple of things that said that there it was on an eBay auction, but I went to those pages and it was gone um, from from, from the page eBay, that so. the Google search set. So it's not alcohol. Yeah, I know, but um, 
So, you know, but it's food though, so I don't think you, I don't even know if you can sell food on eBay. Well, I don't know, but in any case, um, you know, let us know what you think and we'll uh report back what kind of response we get. And finally, it took Disney princesses to take down a burglary ring that police had no clues to stopping even after 145 robberies over three and a half years. Since October 2003, a band of thieves had been breaking into houses in 29 communities in northeast Ohio, shattering rear doors and filling pillowcases from the beds with jewelry and cash. But after robbing a house in Amherst just after Christmas, the crooks made a tactical error. One of the items grabbed was a pair of tickets to Disney on Ice Princess Wishes, which toured through Cleveland in January. They passed the tickets to some friends who went to the show. Police checked the arena to see if the tickets were used and asked the people in the seats where they got the tickets. The answer led the officers to the thieves. The three men were arrested Friday. Additional arrests are possible, but police are certain that the three are the main ringleaders. And Cinderella made their clock chime midnight. <laughs> and well, that'll wrap it up for the Mouse Planet Watch this week. And to think, I turned down the opportunity to see Disney Princess Wishes when I was in Minnesota. Yeah, but they didn't have any criminals at the, at the Minnesota show. No, but maybe those criminals got a bad influence from Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Let us know what you think on this news program. Email us at podcast at mouseplanet.com or call our toll-free feedback line at 1-866-939-2278. All right. You're, you've heard us talk about it before, and you're going to hear us talk about this for the next couple of months. We're taking a survey of our listeners, and we'd like you to participate. It'll help us learn more about you, no matter how long you've been a listener or how frequently you listen to the podcast. So please take a few minutes and stop by the podcast page at mouseplanet.com slash podcast. You'll find the listener survey link right near the top of the page, and you can complete the survey anonymously. Just so that you're prepared, it should take about 10 minutes to fill out the survey. Thanks. Also, if you like the show, please go out to the iTunes podcast directory and give us a good rating. Then vote for the helpful, helpfulness on the other ratings. The better our rating is, the more people will be able to find us. And, of course, you knew it was coming. Here's another plug for my fundraising walk. I'm participating in the Walk America event for the March of Dimes. We're raising money to help prevent birth defects, premature birth, and infant mortality. Last year, we started raising money just four weeks before the event and managed to raise $2,525 for the cause. We started back at the beginning of February this year with a goal of $4,000. We're just over five weeks out from the event now, so we're getting into the home stretch. We've already matched last year's total, and I know that with your help, we can reach that goal. For more information on why I'm walking and how to donate, go to walkamerica.org slash DisneyDad. We'd like to thank our West Coast correspondent, Andrew Rich, and sound editor and audio engineer, Stephen Ng. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with more news on Mouse Planet Watch. Until then, I'm Mike Demopoulos reminding you, thanks people to make the dream a reality. And I'm Mark Oldhaber, reminding you to live the magic every day. See you next week. See you next week. Uh-huh.